tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. How many fish in our stringer? How many points on our buck? How many feathers in our bag? That's how we keep score around here. Sportsmen and women of all skill levels. Let's disconnect from the day-to-day grind and stay connected to the outdoor activities that you and your family love. This is the Doug Pike Show, brought to you by American Shooting Centers, the largest non-military shooting facility in Texas, and by Carter's Country, guns, ammo, and hunting stuff for more than 60 years. Now, here's Doug Pike. All right, Sunday edition of the program starts right now. Let me turn this thing up a little bit. There we go. Now I can hear myself. It's just kind of weird. Uh, anyway, a lot of things going on since yesterday. First of all, who the heck didn't see, I, I don't know, I didn't see 98, 99 tickling 100 coming yesterday. I thought we were past that. I really did. And it was a very cruel trick. A very cruel trick to bring the highs down to 92, 94 for a couple of days. And then smack us right in the face with a wet mop. Got another one of those today, so just be ready for it. And then increasing chances of rain, which which really ticks me off. Because I was hoping, and I still am hoping to get a shot at helping Charlie Epps raise some money for his scholarship charity at Foundation tomorrow out at Golf Club of Houston. I'm going to go out there, and and I'll be there one way or the other. If it rains, it rains, and I'll just drive home in the rain. Not a problem. I'm going to help him any way I can. He helped me an awful lot when I was younger, and so there's that going on. Also going on, I don't know which. I'll go with the fishing part first. After yesterday, when I said on the phone, yeah, I hadn't really heard a lot about Red Tide around here lately, all of a sudden, the pictures start showing up, and more pictures, and more pictures, and it's, I think people were trying to, especially, I don't know who, I don't know why, but it, it seems like somebody was trying to just kind of keep that news from really getting out and, and becoming widespread. What if you could have a career? where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, We rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. 
If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Why, I don't know, because it, it doesn't affect most of us. Now, if you're, if you're in an area where red tide is prevalent, I found myself in that situation many years ago down in the Laguna Madre. They had a, a pretty significant red tide bloom. It's an algae is what it is. And it blooms sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't. And when it does, it is very irritating even to normal, healthy people you get your eye, your eyes start getting itchy and watery. Your throat gets scratchy. It's just a, it's an annoyance for healthy people. And if you have any sort of lung issues, it can be, it can be pretty significantly not going to kill you. Most, I don't know that anybody's ever died from red tide exposure. So I can't say yes or no on that one to be with 100% certainty, but I know that if you do have breathing issues, if you have asthma, something like that, COPD, you want to stay away from red tide. Most definitely. It kills fish. We know that now. The pictures don't lie. And there are current pictures, and there are buku fish of all species turning up dead. It's, it's just like a freeze. It kind of kills the, the smaller fish first. And then it works its way up the food chain to some pretty big ones and some pretty significant fish, including our favorite sport fish in the bays. It'll pass, though. We've got this rain coming, and if we can get rain along the coast, that will help to knock that stuff down, cool the water temperature down a little bit. Just just turn off the boiler, for heaven's sakes. Just turn off the boiler, and, and maybe, just maybe, we can get a little bit closer back to normal. I want to go see if there's any change real quickly before I get to the other thing that I for sure wanted to talk about. Yeah, here we go again. We have got, um, and, and this is nothing to worry about at all right now. I'm just looking. I always take a look at the National Hurricane Center map and just see what's where and what they're doing. Um, the little thing that was way down there in the, uh, it's it's more, it's closer still to Africa than to the United States. Philippe now, a tropical storm with sustained winds of 45 miles an hour. Uh, I'm going to go to a secondary source to get a more confident look at where that thing is likely to head here in the next week or so. Let's just see where they have it going. Now that it's got a name, it should pop up on the map. And it's not yet. Interesting. Okay, they'll figure that out. There's another little yellow X that's um, dropped off of Africa. It's it's still way, and I mean way out there, so we don't have to worry too much about it. Tropics have been very kind to us, thanks in great part to the just the horrendous heat we had. Thanks for that. Uh, here's the, the National Weather Center, or National Hurricane Center, has Philippe taking a northward turn in a couple of days, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, it'll start to turn north, and that would push it into the wide open Atlantic Ocean where, unless you are a steamship captain, you don't have to worry too much about it. We'll just keep doing what we do over here. We'll keep catching fish and shooting doves and teal, and I saw another picture this morning of, I don't know, a hundred and something doves laid out in the bed of a pickup truck. It's That's become the cleaning table. The, the the 
fishermen have their cleaning table and dove hunters have their tailgate and duck hunters and goose hunters. And a little of that goes a long way, I think. It it loses its luster because every photograph is of people who were ridiculously completely successful in the outdoors. And I have no quarrel with that. It's fine. If you got your limited doves, I'm happy for you. Let me know. Let me know. I like looking at pictures, too. I, I like to see. And, and give me some details, though. Don't just say, this is a picture of the guys and me, and we lit them up, and we all limited out. Tell us where you limited out. It, you're not giving up any secrets. It's private property. We already know that. There's a very good, very good bet that you're on private property. So nobody's going to come in and poach your doves. So just let us know where and just to give some people an idea of what's going on in different parts of the state. You don't have to keep it a secret. And even in fishing shots, I, I understand I understand why somebody who hardly ever catches fish would want to tell where they magically one day tripped over a limit of trout and reds in a couple of hours. They, they feel very protective of that spot, like they've found Shangri-La, but they haven't. It's just another spot, and that's where the fish happened to be that day. That's why I always liked, when I was at the newspaper, I liked working with the best guides, not necessarily the youngest, the oldest, the most ornery, least ornery, none of that. I wanted to work with the best ones because they would always tell me the truth when I was working those fishing reports and writing them every day. They'd always tell me the truth about where they had actually been rather than tell me a story, an untrue story about where they had been so that I didn't expose their secret bay system. And I didn't ask for specific pieces of shoreline or specific, I, don't, I didn't care which end of the reef in, in Trinity Bay they were fishing, some specific reef. Just give me a ballpark location. They were still hesitant to do that. And for that reason, I had to drop a lot of them off my call list. The guys, that, the, the sources I quoted in those fishing reports were very forthcoming because they knew that those fish were going to move on them anyway. They knew that they had another 15 spots they could go to. A lot of that's changed now. I don't know how I got on this topic, and I'll get to the other one in just a minute. But a lot of that's changed with the advent of GPS and social media and Instagram and, and all the texting that can go on, we have become absolutely dependent on electronics. And I would love to see a, a tournament circuit be born in which the only, the only navigation you could use is, uh, mm, well, I don't want to take too much out because I don't want anybody running aground and hadn't blaming it on the tournament format. But let's just say with fishing, once you stop, you can use your GPS to get wherever you want to go. But once you once you stop and once you've got rods in your hands, all electronics get turned off. You can't use uh, the trolling motor feature that will keep you on a certain spot. You just have to ride around. And I think it would be very telling on... Uh, as to whether people are really, really good fishermen or they're very good with electronics. And you got to be good with both now. Let's face it. That's the way it is. I, who was it? I think it was, might have been Rick talked yesterday about hanging around a bunch of young young guys on a dove hunt 
And they were all watching their cameras trying to figure out which part of the ranch the doves were flying best on. And when none of them really saw lots of doves on their camera, they just kind of went, eh, maybe, not, maybe not a good day to hunt. Well, that's totally missing the point. Every day is a good day to hunt, unless it's dangerous conditions. If it's a hurricane, if there's a tornado coming, if you feel the ground shaking beneath your feet, okay, maybe not a great day to be outdoors. Well, actually, with the ground shaking beneath your feet, you better get outdoors quick because the roof over your head may fall on your head. But you get my point. If you are this morning on the way in, if it weren't for all the buildings and the power lines and the light poles and all that, I would have seen one of the prettiest sunrises I've seen in a very long time. It was absolutely gorgeous coming in on the Southwest Freeway. A lot of red, a lot of yellow, a lot of really strong, bright color. It looked like somebody had turned on one of those one of those features in the app where you can enhance the color by about 10 times. But it was real. It was just just my naked eyes were seeing this beautiful sunrise. If only, if only I had been on the bay somewhere or maybe punching out to get offshore, going through the jetties. That would have been really, really pretty. 713-212-5790. Email me, Doug Pike at iHeartMedia.com. As soon as, as soon as Adam opens up those phone lines, maybe somebody could call. <laughs> I just noticed those big yellow or red shields over the the lines. Uh, yeah, now we can now we can cook maybe. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. Yeah. Oh no, not a problem. The other thing that's going on that I wanted to talk about, and I got distracted with the fish and the red tide and all that stuff, is the Solheim Cup over in Andalusia in Spain. And yesterday, at the end of yesterday's Saturday play. The women were all tied up, eight points each in the Solheim Cup. Solheim Cup, excuse me. And now the morning matches, because they are halfway around, well, a quarter of the way around the world anyway, they are plodding forward in the singles matches, a dozen of those today, three of which are finished now. And just a little while ago, I would have had to tell you bad news that we were down 9-8. Now... Two more matches have wrapped up, and we are up 10-9. This is going to be, I don't know how much golf you watch, whether you care about watching women's golf at all, but this is fantastic stuff. It's going to be a really good day, a really good day to watch the Solheim Cup and just see the competition between these women. A nice preamble, by the way, to next week's Ryder Cup coverage, which will be the the updates that I give you in Ryder Cup, and I guess I can tee off here, no pun intended, well, yeah, pun intended, um, I'm going to bring these to you courtesy of the Covey, that beautiful 18-hole championship course at Big Easy Ranch, where, yeah, the, they've got a, a, a nine-hole part, and it's not a par three course, it's just a nine-hole course with a lot of shorter holes, also at Big Easy, and they're actually, they're offering up lots if man i i'm just one lottery ticket away from owning a couple of those lots up there and becoming a member and ah, just watching the sunrises for the rest of my life take a little break here on the way out i'll tell you about carter's country go by there today you want to set yourself up for duck hunting Set yourself up for deer hunting. Check out the Browning shotguns and rifles they've got there. Still, still offering 50 to 75 bucks off those Satori's. 
Select, it says here, Browning Satori shotguns and rifles in 25%, or not 25%, 25 bucks off Browning AB3 rifles. They've got rimfire rifles and handguns and shotguns and just Browning's just trying to get your hunting season off to a better start than maybe the last few have been. Nothing like a shiny new gun to get you excited about opening day, right? Carter's Country has a great selection of Browning firearms. They've got guns. They've got ammo. they got hunting stuff at all four stores for 60-plus years now. And you can go online now, thanks to the the third generation of Carter's, operating that store they they fast forwarded into the present and future with a really good easy to navigate website so you can shop online as well at carterscountry.com check that website too to find out what's going on up at the big range at the treshwig store they've always got events out there carterscountry.com this is sports talk 790 the houston sports fan on air and on facebook by contact back to the doug pike show contemporary orchestral composition right there huh who uh, who composed that? I don't recall. Uh, that was Richard Wagner. That's Wagner? Yes. How contemporary is Wagner? Do you realize what that sounded like when it started, did you not? Uh, it sounded like Bride of the Valkyries to me. Yeah. That's the Star Wars stuff. Oh, is it? I see. It sounds uh, This like was it. requested by Mike, I believe it was, yesterday. So. All right. Fair enough. Well, I hope he's listening this morning. Johnny on the spot. <laughs> Let's go talk to Rick Bice. Hang on. Ah, it's not working again. Hold on. Let me put him back on hold. Hit it again. Morning. There we go. We got you now, Ricky. What's up, buddy? Doug, um, I've got some uh, good news for you this morning. I, I got two questions, so don't, don't, don't. You're, you're, I, I, got, I got two topics. You're driving down the road, and you hit a cormorant. <laughs> well, you're all, you're close. I was driving up here to feed, and my brother-in-law called me, and he said, hey, what are these blackbirds out here on my pond? And they dive, and they go, oh, it's oh all this no. ain't, ain't no water in it. Mm. I said, hey, just hang on. I'll be there in a minute. We are now going to implement. This is going to be shock and all. I oh have my, my gun with me, oh which I never had with me, because I was going after another price. So. Okay. And so anyway, let me tell you something, Doug. You you and I feel the same way about them those blackbirds. Let me tell you something. There are some coonerants out here in this world right this second that are beautiful birds because they're not black. They are black and red. Okay. Yeah. They're still what they are. I think you can figure out what I'm talking about when oh, I yeah, say yeah, black yeah, yeah. and okay. red. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you, you'd be proud of me. You'd be proud of me. But uh, anyways, uh, it's turned out to be a good morning. That 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 set me off right there. Um, red tide. Okay, the go question. ahead. Brother, my brother has a place at Sargent, and he said it was horrible down there. The stench. Yeah, it's he nasty. He just can't hardly do anything. Um, and I, I heard that somewhere else too. But I called him since I heard it this morning earlier. Anyways, um, 
My question is, and I have no clue on the answer. Let's just say, and my, my brother-in-law asked this question. He's he's on a canal right right there at the, the, the where the new bridge is, and at the intercoastal. And uh, he said he he don't really have them up in the canal, but they're up. You go out of the canal, you, you're just going to churn up. You're, you're just going to chum fish in the water because yeah, the crop yeah, is going to yeah. eat them up. Right. So my question for you is what? Like he said, I was seeing trout starting to float up, you know, 30, 40 feet. They were trying to swim, and they were legal length trout, but they're going to die. He said, we we watched them yesterday. They just go up and turn on their side. They're dead. Yeah, that's, that's stuff. It's an Question algae bloom, and it's legally, toxic to can them. You go, yeah, well, yeah, I know. Can you legally go dip them out of the water if they're going to die anyway? Legally, in their, I mean, legally, no. I'm pretty sure. I'm 99 percent sure that legally, no. Uh, and I, it's it's a it's a tragic waste, but it's it's kind of part of nature. You know, the Parks and Wildlife Department says lawful means and methods, and that's for speckled trout. That's rod and reel, basically. Can't spear right. them. Yeah, you're right. Can't cast net them. You can't blow them up. Yeah. Well, I was just curious because he asked that, and I thought, you know, that'd be a good question. I, I have an expert I can call. Well, one so. of the reasons you have to do that is because during a freeze, when those fish aren't, they're not suffering a toxic exposure, but what they are is just they're so slowed as, as cold-blooded animals. They're so slowed that they can't react to anything. And people during freezes would go and just scoop them up like along the the concrete bulkheads where they'd all gathered to get the little bit of warmth out of that concrete on a sunny day and so they had to make that no go yeah it's just a mess well all right well i, I can't agree or disagree with it because i don't know the answer but if they're gonna waste anyway right and die i mean could there be an exception to that maybe well, the problem is that they're not going to be – they don't go to waste, okay? Everything in the bay system has to eat. Well, something will eat them. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Something will so eat they them. They don't go to waste, and that's a, that's a very common um, line of thought when somebody's saying, well, why can't I take them? They're just going to rot on the bottom of the bay. Well, no, well, the crab's got to eat, shrimp got to eat, everything's got to eat. Well, yeah, the only thing that's going to really eat them, you just said it. You just said, you know, a redfish ain't that's still vigorous and, and going strong. He ain't going to come up there and eat a, a swollen up trout that's been, or no. jab that's been sitting there for two days in the sun. No, but a no crab better. will. Yeah, sure. Crab will eat just about anything. Yeah. Anyway, life, yeah. life uh, make, makes it uh, everything, uh, if we leave everything alone, everything would be perfect. Well, no, I don't go that far because we are part of the problem with everything in nature. You know no, that. We are, we are part of the I'm what I'm saying. Yeah. We are the problem. If, yeah. if we weren't here, everything would be good. Yeah, it would be, it would be as it was before we got here. And every time we every time we build a house, every time we build a road, we change the ecosystem. And it's our job to make sure we don't tip it in the, too far in the wrong direction. That's kind of the way it goes. Yeah, it's always a fun topic. Thank you for yes, your sir, show. Man. Thank you for your work. I'll catch up with you yeah, later. Man, thanks for the call. I appreciate it, buddy. All right, we'll see you, Ricky. Hey. Adios.
All right, now, see it. Mm, yeah, this thing's all messed up again, Adam. I can't work my calls in here. My son's baseball game is not going as planned. Down 2 nothing at the after 2. They're playing like the Astros, basically. Give up some runs early and then play catch-up the rest of the game and see what happens. Oh, so frustrating to watch. Hate that for him. I really do. Oh, my goodness. Hit by a pitch. We got a guy on base. There we go. <laughs> here we go. Top of the third. Okay, we'll see how that works out. I want to go... Mm, yeah, I I dredged up some information on Red Tide. And, and just to kind of to lay out exactly what's going on when this stuff is out there and and take some of the mystery out of it. And the the scientists who study this actually don't like the term red tide, although that's a very easy way to, to see it and understand it. What they like is harmful algae bloom. Well, yeah, we know that too. And they even use the acronym HAB to designate what happens pretty much all around this coast all the way across the Gulf of Mexico, over into Florida, wherever, caused by, it says here, microscopic algae that produce toxins that kill fish. And this is something to note, make shellfish dangerous to eat. The toxins also may make the surrounding air difficult to breathe. As the name suggests, the bloom of algae often turns the water red. Robert sent a fantastic photograph of that yesterday, and it, it most definitely looks kind of reddish in the clear water. HABs, it says here, have been reported in every coastal state, and their occurrence may be on the rise, cycles, nothing more, because they affect not only health of people, uh, it's a national concern, it says here, because they affect not only the health of people in marine ecosystems, but also the health of local and regional economies. Not all algal blooms, algal blooms, excuse me, are harmful. Most, in fact, are beneficial because the tiny plants are food for animals in the ocean. In fact, they're a major source of energy that fuels the ocean food web. I could go on. I won't because I want to go talk to Mike. And I can't get him to mm, fix me. There we go. What's up, Mike? Good morning, young man. Good morning. I want to tell you that I just finished uh, uh, having um, uh, homemade buttermilk biscuits with my last of my venison sausage. Nice. And uh, I'm sitting here with my son, and he's showing me eight by ten glossies that he got from a friend of his down in the valley about uh, uh, some drone shots that he took out in the uh, brush country that I thought oh. were game that I thought were game trails and he said they're people trails. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot more of those than there are game trails right now. He said it was unbelievable. He saw more trash in the brush mm -hmm. uh, than he saw game and that was I don't doubt that. Was, that. It, it's that just pitiful. It's sickening to me what has been allowed to happen along that entire border and then farther and farther into the interior through oh, yeah. private ranches because the farther they can get in before they're exposed to the light of day, the best ch better chance they have of not getting booted out. Very yeah, frustrating. It, mm. it, 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 it's just 
really disheartening, i, I got to tell you. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. I was down there 20-something years ago, maybe 30 years ago. Gosh, has it been that long? It could have been. Joe Dogg and I are driving around the San Burrito in uh, one of Bill Carter's old Broncos he had down there. And it was kind of the same color as a, a Border Patrol Bronco, but it wasn't marked in, in any way. Anyway, we're driving through the ranch and turned a corner, and there were eight or ten people just standing there in the middle of the road, and they scattered like like quail when a bobcat jumps out. They disappeared into that prickly pear and mesquite as though they were just running through a wheat field. And I can't imagine the just the fear in those people that, that we were going to grab them up and do something. Or anyway, they just didn't want to be seen. And they jumped off that road maybe maybe 40, 50 yards in front of us. And by the time we could get down that way, and we weren't we weren't speeding. We were just ambling through the ranch at normal speed, and we never slowed down. We didn't want to scare them or cause ourselves any harm. But the bottom line was, they disappeared. We could not see them anywhere. They disappeared. Well, they don't. Do, they don't do that now. They run to you. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's it's it's kind of scary. What's I would not want to live down there right now, and you know, have retired to a ranch down there and had to deal with people coming through all day long. I got friends who live in Harlingen, and they just oh. tell me horror stories all the time. Yeah. Well, I I got to catch this break. I hate to do it to you, Mike, but I'm glad you called. I appreciate it. See you, Ryan. Yes, sir. Thank you. Adios. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this break in just a second. Um, yeah, that's it's a hard thing if you're gonna hunt deer in South Texas this year. Just just be careful. You have to be careful because there are people walking all over South Texas, and fences don't bother them. They'll either cut it or drive through it or create a way to get over it. And it's, um, in many cases, they are being escorted by people who are armed. And that, that frightens me for for deer hunters because we're just not used to having to deal with something like that. Uh, but it's something that has been turned loose on us by somebody who won't stop it. It'd be easy enough to stop. It wouldn't take three weeks to shut that place down. Oh, well. Finally get a little relief, maybe tomorrow from the heat, I guess. I, two days ago, I would have said, yeah, it's a beautiful day for golf. Now it's just going to be another hot day, but that means more tea times. More tea times for you and anybody else you can gather who's not scared of a little hot weather. Lord knows we got acclimated to it all summer long. Honey, it's not going to be 100, so there's that. And that means Black Horse would be a really good place to tee it up. That's still one of my favorites. I drove by there a couple of days ago, and my, my car actually wanted to turn into the gate, but I couldn't. I had to continue south, going down past Fry, on Fry Road, past Black Horse. It's easy to get to. It's off 290. You go 290 to Fry Road, hang a south, and you will be there in about four minutes. And in about seven minutes, once you make your quick loop through the pro shop and get taken care of, you can be out there hitting balls and getting ready to go tee it up on one of the two courses there, the north and the south. Fantastic, fun place to go play golf. I play a lot of tournaments up there. Nobody puts on a better event. It's really a lot of fun. Whether you got 50 players, two players, 100 players, 200 players, they can accommodate you, and they will leave you very eager to return. Go make yourself a tea time right now. Blackhorsegolfclub.com. That's blackhorsegolfclub.com. 
This is Sports Talk 790. Houston Sports Online at sports790.com. Back. Back to the Doug Pike Show. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Man, these kids get in trouble every inning. There's always a base runner on when our guys are in the field. Ugh. Pick somebody off, boys. Let's go. 713-212-5790. Email me, DougPike at iHeartMedia.com. In addition to updates from, oh, man, this kid stole second base. I don't know how. Not our kid either. We got one out in the bottom of the third, and we're down 2-1. We'll come back maybe. More importantly to most of you, all of you except me, uh, the Solheim Cup is there's a change on the leaderboard again. We started the morning at 8-8. They started the morning over there in Spain at 8-8 and then went to 9-8 Europe early when we started the program. Then it went to 10-9 USA, and now it's tied up again at 10-10. I don't care how much you care. If you care at all about golf and you care at all about pressure in golf and what that can do, to how how much golf can really get in your head if you let it. You're going to see how the best women players on the planet handle that pressure in the next hour and a half or two. It's um that's really impressive what they're doing over there and, and just trying to grind through and with it this close and well a lot of the matches are actually getting closer. Um, yeah, they're they're wrapping up over there it's getting all the way close to the bottom of time uh it's 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 afternoon over there now and they're it's going to be a fun day to watch singles golf over there still some matches with lots of room hold on i think that one i don't know why that one featured itself for some reason yeah, everybody's through the front nine now, so they're, they've rounded third and are headed for home, and it's going to be a, a really fun thing to watch toward the end. Probably more fun than watching what's going oh, Good, we got somebody out. That's outstanding. 713-212-5790. Email me, DougPike at iHeartMedia.com. I, um, I want to get this off my screen, then I want to run to my messages real quick and make sure I didn't miss anything. That's about Monday golf. I can lose that. That's about, I don't know what greater uptown local spark is, really. I'm going to let that go. Check that. That's out. That's out. Um, I don't need emails from Whirlpool. Not at all. There's there's one email that's notably missing for the last two days, and I'm going to have to address that. I guess during the next break. It's coming up pretty soon anyway. Adam, do I need to take that call now or can it wait or what? Oh, he's still busy. He's chit-chatting with somebody. Tell you what, we'll start this break. We'll get to that call when we get back. I'll go through my emails and make sure I haven't missed anything when we while I'm gone. And uh, we'll continue. I want to talk when we get back. I think there was a question I wanted to talk about yesterday that I never really got to. And it's just one of these hypotheticals. What do you think about this? And I'll tell you what it is when we get back. On the way out, I'll tell you about the boatyard on 518 in Kima. 
whether you have a boat and want to sell it, don't have a boat and want to buy one, or kind of a combo of both, you have a boat, you want to sell it so you can buy a new boat, the boatyard down in Kima is a great place. FM 518, run by a guy named JT. He he manages the place. He knows what's going on. He knows what the latest things are, as in accessories and power. They've got great Tahatsu outboards down there. If you need new power, they've got them up to 250 horsepower in there. We've got a really nice selection of boats, including case gifts. These are little boats that are made right there on site at Eagles Boatyard. And the beauty of those is because they're made right there, if you order one, if you order one, then you can instantly go in there, have a seat, and talk about the interior of that boat and exactly how you want it so that it is truly your boat and not just a rubber stamp of everybody else's case gift. They'll let you do that. I think they will. I hope they will because I just told you they would. I know they will. Mark will help you out, too, putting all the accessories where you want them. A lot of people go in there asking him to help out when other places have said, you can't put a trolling motor there, you can't put a power pole there, you can't do this or that. Mark, yeah, we probably can. Great people. I've I've known them now for several years. I'm very confident when I send you down there to get work done on your boat. EaglesBoatyard.com. That's the website. Go check it out and tell them I said hello when you get there. EaglesBoatyard.com. Your Rockets and Astros live here. We are Sports Talk 790. The conversation continues. This is the Doug Pike Show. All right, here we go. 847 on Sports Talk 790, the Doug Pike Show. Thanks for listening. Certainly do appreciate it. I have... um. I've got to go to George on this. Let's see if it works. Hold on. Nope, of course not. Let me put him back on hold. There we go. I'm here, George. Don't worry. What's no going squid. on? No sweat, Doug. Hey, good morning. Yeah, that's Houston's own Rodney Crowell. Yes, indeed. Singing that stars on the water. Yes, sir. And he did he did something that uh had never been done before. He crossed over into the country radio in the mid eighties mm-hmm. because there's a lot of artists uh Back there was uh, there was a country a, a mu- music movement that erupted uh, that was largely centered around Austin in the early seventies. And Steve Fromholtz, who was a great songwriter from Texas, they used to call him the Governor, and he he wrote songs like "Man in the Big Hat" that Willie Nelson recorded, yeah, and also yeah. the uh, "Nightlife." Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, uh, this, I'm sorry, that's Willie's. There's another one called. Uh, I can't think of the name right now, but anyway, he really had a big hit with one of one of his other songs. But um, anyway, Rodney uh, he married Johnny Cash's daughter Roseanne back in the mid '80s. Yeah, and he was in Emmy Lou Harris's band early on, like in the early '71, '72, because he's such a fine songwriter. He's in the Nashville Hall of Fame as a songwriter, and. I met him the first time in 1988. He came down here. He had that album, Diamonds and Dirt. He won a Grammy for Song of the Year. And he also had five number one hits, one of which was a duet with I, 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 Whoa, whoa, I don't mean to cut you short, but I'm, yeah, we got to get anyway. off the music. All right. Well, anyway, it's that he's our, he's homegrown right here from Yeah, Houston, he is. Texas. I know that. Oh, and, Absolutely. Uh, but he had five number one hits on that album. It never been done before or since. Okay. But anyway, I called in to talk about or something you brought up a few weeks ago in August. Uh, okay. 
which kind of reminds me of uh, one of my initial books that I read by Faulkner called Light in August. Okay. And uh, and what you were talking about is orbital period. And, uh, you know, you brought it up at a a good time because it does begin back, you know, uh, back in like August and all. Sure. There's a... The quality of the light changes, mm-hmm. and now we're into the period, you know. And when did they? Uh, when does the moratorium on flounder begin this year? Oh, it's earlier this year, it's, right? It's usually. I haven't looked at the date yet because I know it's still I a little ways away. October or so. I I think it's, I'll go take a look. Why November? I think okay. they're taking away November. The prime, you know, it's the prime time, you know. But, you know, the good thing about it, they've got a six-year life cycle. So I think mm-hmm. they're, we're already getting returns on that from all reports, you yeah. know, anecdotal, you yeah. know. But, but also, um, uh, I was going to say, you know, th- th- a few years ago, this time of year in early in like in early October, you know, you can you can get out there if you get an opportunity. You can and you can catch a lot of flounder. Now the caveat is, you know, you'll retain less less you know less of them will meet the mark as far as keepers, you know. But right. I, in a couple of weeks, I went I went three or four times and I caught over thirty flounder. Uh, and wow. of course, unlike the actors, uh, a net is a, I mean the high wire acts. Uh, <laughs> a net is essential. Sure. You know, and cause, and you get that net up under, and and if when they when they spit it out at your feet, which they often do, you know as well as me, and oftentimes oh, they'll gosh, do they'll, they ever. they'll slap some water in your face as sure. add insult to injury. But if you drop your your lure right back down, they'll settle right back down to your feet, and you drop your lure down there and get that net up under them because I've had them drop. In fact, <laughs> down there at the ferry landing, I had one I caught like that, and the, the people were on the ferry, and that. That flounder dropped into my net, and then I got a oh, round of goodness. applause from some of the people out there who sure. witnessed that. But, but anyway, that's all I had, Doug. Okay. And uh, one other thing I was going to throw out, you were spot on what you said about AI, too, uh, a couple weeks ago. Because uh, uh, well, I don't know anything about it, Doug, but I, I do know that evidently, allegedly, there's three basic types of AI. And one of the first things that AI did, you know what they did when they hooked them up together? What's that? You know, with, they came up with a code that was indistinguishable. Oh, us. yeah. We yeah. could not read it, okay? And right. it, that kind of harkens back to Arthur C. Clarke in 2001, A Space Odyssey, and how. Yeah, it's a little spooky. Remember that? I do. All right, yeah. I'll leave you all with okay. that, man. And uh, thanks right. for uh, you bet. Uh, listening to the music reviews. Sure. <laughs> Thank all you. Right, all right. Yeah, AI. That I brought that up, and I actually I wrote a column about it for Texas Fishing Game a couple of issues back. I think it's it's a fantastic thing, but like anything else, it's spooky. It's spooky when you start looking at what AI is capable of doing, what it's being used to do now, and it's being used now by people to do unlawful and horrible things and steal your money and make you do dumb things and and whatnot. And eventually, my gut tells me that that AI is going to be able to do that on its own. Just like he was talking about, if, if it's writing its own code and we can't read that code, then... AI is going to be it's 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 an Orwellian almost thing 
Um, it's it's so futuristic. Oh, that can't happen. Well, yeah, it can. It absolutely can. And we better be thinking about how to stop it because once once it tips over to a certain point of efficiency and secrecy, we won't be able to tell it no. That's kind of crazy. 713-212-5790. Email me, DougPike at iHeartMedia.com. So the thing I wanted to go to before we got to the music, uh, yeah, before we got there, is that I wanted to talk yesterday about it, and we kind of ran out of time. But what I want to talk about is the, the importance or lack thereof of color selection in lures. Because a lot of people swear by it. And I'm I'm just hard-headed enough that when I go fishing, I will deliberately tie on something else just to see if the color that I've chosen is as effective as what's being used by everybody else. And I'm not really I'm not really worried about catching fewer fish than other people because I've caught my share of fish in my lifetime. I really have, and I'm happy to keep catching more. I, I haven't caught my last fish yet. I can guarantee you that unless I fall over dead today. But I still I still have that that level of challenge and challenge accepted in me that says, okay, if everybody else is throwing purple with a yellow tail, I'm gonna throw watermelon with a white tail. Or something like that. I'll, I'll change. I'll go way out into left field just to see if I can get the bite. And if I can't, I'll go back, usually, or I'll change to something else over and over and over. That's why I start with about four feet of leader and usually end a day with about two feet because I keep snipping off an inch or two to tie a knot. I don't like using clips or snaps or any of that either. I really don't. Some of the very light, very strong clips that are just that and nothing more. They're not a loop. They're not a barrel. They're not a split ring even. But just those little simple one-step clips, I don't mind. Uh, But everything else, all that other hardware just gets in the way, I think, of the lure's action. But in any event, I could go either way. I could say that some days I have witnessed where... Nothing but a certain color would work, and that goes all the way back to when I was in high school, standing on the Surfside fishing pier with a buddy of mine one night when I and he and his little brothers and their dad had all pitched a giant tent on the beach down there, and Jimmy and I, Jimmy Hammond and I, were up on the pier catching speckled trout on white soft plastic, and they had to have been... I guess, I don't know, Kelly Wigglers, what was the first one? I think that was about it. And any that, white, as soon as white hit the water, it was a bite instantly. Any other color, and we tried them all because we ran out of white ones pretty fast, wasn't working. And ultimately, we actually, this is gospel truth, we cut our T-shirts. We were wearing just standard issue white undershirts up there on that pier, and we were cutting little strips of T-shirt off and putting them on the jig head and catching as many trout as anybody else. Just wearing them out. Just wearing them out. No other color would work. I've seen that. And then I've seen the other extreme where anything that hits the water gets hammered, no matter what color it is, no matter what. Well, size probably 
in artificial lure, size probably is more important than color. I said it out loud, and I, the more I think about it, the more I'm believing what I just said. Because if, if the fish are eating little bitty finger mullet, and you're throwing some monstrosity out there, something twice the size of that bait, you probably won't get that many bites. If you go to something too small, conversely, you're probably not going to get as many bites. If you pick the right color, you pick the right size, you should get bites. Sometimes you don't. Now we have to figure out what makes that happen. All right, we got to take a little break here. Good heavens, we're already at the top of the hour. And Adam was very kind and didn't get in my ear and tell me to be quiet. Shooter's Corner down there at Palmer Highway and 29th Street in Texas City, owned by an old buddy of mine, Jerry TK. Probably, if his son's not the guy, and a couple of other guys I know, not the guys. Yeah, He's one of the top five gunsmiths I know, that's for sure. That's for darn sure. And he has helped a lot of my listeners over the years fix things that other gunsmiths from places I'm not familiar with have told them couldn't be done. Or they've tried to charge them more money than they needed to be charged. Not at the Shooter's Corner, though. Shooter's Corner helps them out, takes care of them. All my listeners go down there. You got a problem with a gun, take it to Jerry and Jay. They'll fix it. Kind of period, end of story. Whether you are brand new to shooting or you've been poking holes and breaking targets and shooting birds and deer and ducks and whatever forever, Shooter's Corner's got what you need, and they'll take care of you. Right down there in Texas City, very easy to find, Palmer Highway at 29th Street. If you wear a badge for a living, by the way, you get a discount at Shooter's Corner, which I think is pretty cool. TheShootersCornerTX.com, 40-plus years in business. TheShootersCornerTX.com. This is the Doug Pike Show, brought to you by American Shooting Centers, the largest non-military shooting facility in Texas, and by Carter's Country, guns, ammo, and hunting stuff for more than 60 years. Now, here's Doug Pike. All right, welcome back. Thanks for listening. Okay, my son's game just got tied up. Oliver, Oliver cracked one. Deep with two guys on and um, scored them both. So we're tied up 3-3. I I was going to say kind of like the Solheim Cup. Let me go make sure. Let me see where they are now. Oh, wait, I've got the wrong mouse in my hand. Hang on. Ding! Um, I'm going to have to refresh this and see if it changes at all. I know some other matches have got to have finished by now. Ah, 10-10, same thing. And the next, well, yeah, we're, we got one group on 17, one on 16. Actually, two groups playing 16 right now. And then it goes on down the line, but they are marching on forward. Uh, I like, I like our, boy, we've got, we're up in three matches. We're down in four matches and tied in one right now. Um, the ones that we're down, though, we're only down one hole. And the ones that we're up, we're up two, up three, and up one. And this is all still with a significant, well, a little bit of golf to play anyway. Um, uh, the Vu Sagstrom match, we are, at, um, I think it's Lydia Vu, maybe. I'm not sure. But she's three up through 14. So. 
I feel pretty good about getting that point. Lexi Thompson, who is is batting cleanup, she's our anchor. Uh, she is two up through 11 holes now, so that one could go either way. But the European team, oh, we just tied up the other two. Yeah, we are tied in three and up in three, and that's starting to look pretty good. So we'll see how it goes. Also looking good for my son's baseball team. They just scored another run. They are now up 4-3, and fingers crossed. 713-212-5790. Email me, dougpike at iheartmedia.com. I've had absolutely no takers on discussing color in lures. It's amazing. Let me see if I've got anything over here. Um, okay, that's that. That's that. Yep, Mojo weighed in. Thank goodness. This is interesting. Rudy sent me a photograph that I've actually seen before. And this is another topic that's kind of fun to talk about with people who've been fishing a lot in their lifetimes. What you've seen that's just, it made you go, wow, I never knew they did that. I never knew those fish did that. And the photograph is has been around for a while. It is of a bottlenose dolphin with what would I would guess would be probably a 24, 26-inch redfish in its mouth and just not looking like it wants to eat it, just looking like it's playing with it, like it's messing with it. And I have seen the same thing with bottlenose dolphin playing. Quite, there's no question that that's what they were doing. They were not hunting and eating. They were flipping speckled trout, and I'm talking about two- to four-pound trout, at the Surfside Jetty, just kind of out probably between, like, maybe second, third bar, maybe third, fourth bar. I was on the rocks, and I was watching this happen probably 50 to 100 yards out from the rocks, and we couldn't get a bite at all when those dolphins were in there. There were six or seven of them in there, and they were chasing speckled trout to the surface, then flipping them in the air, and then deliberately just swimming away from them. It wasn't like they were trying to flip them and kill them and, and hunt them and eat them. They were just messing with them. They were just schoolyard bullies picking on the little kids and just letting them know who was in charge. And it was fascinating to watch that. That went on for a good, I don't know, 10, 12 minutes probably. They just were having the time of their lives. Uh -huh, here we go. Let me go talk to Joe. Thank you, Adam. Joe, what's up, buddy? Hey, good morning, sir. Morning. Hey, I got a question. Uh, sure. it, 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 like they say, it, if you don't ask, you won't know. On the flounder run, uh, the first cold front, um, it, being that the water's been so hot, is would you suggest maybe waiting for the second cold front or the third or or what do you what probably do you think? What's your yeah thoughts? Joe you bring up a good point probably so I don't if the second one takes the water temperature down from ninety to eighty eight like so what you know and I think it's gonna we're gonna have to have a pretty significant weather change now that being said the other thing that every fish in the sea knows is happening now is that the days are getting shorter and right. even if it stayed hot all the way to december those fish wouldn't stay in the bay through december i don't think i think the the shorter days are every bit as important to them and their internal clocks as as is water temperature so yeah gotcha. here's the deal you you can either 
he can either take a swing and be be first to go down and catch him migrating, or you can just wait around till the reports start coming and then be next. You know, right? So, go okay, man. Go I appreciate, I, yeah, I appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, right. thank you. All right. Adios. Yeah, that's a that's a kind of a tough. It's not a it's not a hard yes or no answer. Because if we get a couple of, we've already had a couple of little spells of north breeze, not really north wind, and no, no, just temperature plummeting fronts come through here. We will; they'll be here soon enough. And until then, I wouldn't be in a super big hurry to start looking in in flounders migratory routes. But hey, if if you're not out there fishing for them, you'll never know when they move through there. One, there's one flounder that has to be the first one. And once that one goes, they're all going to follow. And if you're there that day, you might get a lot of bites. If you wait and wait and wait and wait, you're going to look up and the season's going to be closed. I, by the way, I looked at the Parks and Wildlife Department's website, and, and this is the second time this weekend that I've been really confused and disappointed because I can't find a definitive answer. I cannot find a definitive answer on when, when that flounder closure is going to start. Last year, it was, what, mid-November, something like that, or the 1st of November to middle of December. I can't remember exactly. Um, But I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it, and I can't find it. All right. Good heavens. I can't believe nobody wants to talk about collar. Oh, I'm going to go back real quickly to my safety Sam thing, too. And after Captain Scott sent me that picture yesterday, it just confirms what I've been talking about. There are so many people now who are out there hunting and who are – Either they either haven't been taught right or they don't care about gun safety because I'm seeing guns in photographs that are quite clearly in potentially dangerous positions based on where the people are around them. And it just drives me nuts to watch that. It absolutely drives me nuts to watch that. There's no reason for it. 713-212-5790. Email me, DougPike at iHeartMedia.com. Safety is so important. It's just so important. Don't put a gun where it could hurt somebody, for heaven's sakes. And if you're going to put a gun in a picture, open the action, please. Or or crack the, the over-unders and side-by-sides open so everybody can see that it's not loaded and not have to worry about it. It's just... Every place I've hunted and felt comfortable hunting, there are rules about whether or not you can bring the guns in. And it used to be, I don't know if it'd be safe now in South Texas to do this, but when I was hunting um, years ago with Bill Carter down there at Sombrerito, a lot of times we'd just leave our rifles outside so that they didn't have to be, they didn't have to go from one temperature extreme to another. Leave that barrel out there in the cold. So you didn't take a hot barrel out of the out of the camp house and go straight into blind and if a, something just stepped right out and you needed to take a shot and your barrel's not the same way it was or not the way it should be you might miss that deer. There are a lot of reasons to do it right. Mostly though, I just don't want to see anybody get hurt. I've got a photograph. I showed it to Adam yesterday. Adam, maybe I should just Put that photograph on my Facebook page and explain to people how what happens when when a gun goes off in the wrong direction. You think I should do that? Yeah, it's a little grisly. 
But Isn't you know, it? like in Australia and like uh, Europe, they put like a picture. Of oh like, yeah, you know, they just cancer on a cigarette car wrecks thing. anything like that. Yeah, they do that in Europe. They don't do it here. We are we've been protected from stuff like that. It might do some people some good to see it. What it is? It's a picture of a friend of mine. Uh, he's passed away since, but he got shot while sitting in his deer stand by someone I believe on a neighboring property who took a bad shot, clearly. Took a bad shot at something and missed it. I We can only hope that he wasn't aiming at my friend. But my friend took one through the shoulder, fortunately just high enough up in the trapezius muscle, just high enough up in the trap. It missed his collarbone. It missed all the bone. It's just a through-and-through through wound from front to back, left shoulder. All muscle. The entry wound is... Just about the size of whatever caliber bullet that was. The exit just in those, what, three inches maybe of shoulder muscle it had to go through. Exit wound, I don't know, roughly golf ball size. Is that an accurate description? Adam? Hello. Pulling a wheel, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I said the entry wound looks is about the same size as the caliber of the bullet, obviously. But the exit's closer in size to about a golf ball. Sounds yeah, about right. it's pretty bad. It's it looks pretty like he just got the top of his shoulder blown off. He's he's really yeah he's really really fortunate. That bullet goes six inches in a couple of different directions, and if it if they're not away from him, then that's a problem. That's yeah, a I know it's like problem. a one in a million thing to happen to get yeah. shot by a stray bullet like that. But yep. also, like you know, he didn't hit any bone or anything. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that. he's he. That was probably if you're going to get hit by a stray bullet, that's probably the best outcome you could have, except for maybe just a, a scratch. But yeah, he he was very fortunate, and when he sent me that picture, he he knew it too. He said, "Lucky me." All right, we got to take a little break here. If you want to go someplace and, and see some really big deer, if you want to go someplace and play golf on a championship golf course, if you want to go someplace and do a little big game hunting, do a little bird hunting, a little fishing, have some fine dining, all of these things are available at a place called Big Easy Ranch just north of Columbus, a place that they call it a sporting club like no other, okay? And it is just that. And it, it's got just so much. It, it's ranch living. You can, they are offering up lots right now that overlook the the little nine hole course. There, not the Big Easy or not the Covey, the eighteen hole course. Beautiful place. I got to play it with the owner a while back. But the nine hole course, these beautiful overlook lots, and it's essentially going to be ranch living without the heavy lifting you're never going to have to get in a tractor you're never got all of that stuff but you're going to see the wildlife walking around in the mornings you're going to be able to walk down and, and fish in one of the ponds they have there lakes they have there big easy ranch where first class is the only class actually if you want to find out more just go to the website bigeasyranch.com that's bigeasyranch.com this is Sports Talk 790. Breaking sports news on Facebook 24-7. We'll get that information to them. This is the Doug Pike Show. Ziggy played guitar. Jamming good. 922 on Sports Talk 790, the Doug Pike Show. Thanks for listening. Certainly do appreciate it. What happened? Where, where'd the music go? The Just shut it off? The video is buffering. <laughs> oh, it's never happened before. Wow. You nailed it. Well, why don't I just go talk to Danny then? Put him on the phone. 
Bing, there you are. What's up, Danny? Hey, Doug. How you doing this morning? I'm good, man. Thank you. Hey, I just want to talk about uh, the flounder run. Um, uh, I went out. I went out on Friday morning over at uh, Ball. There you go. And? And uh, just... Just get the equipment all wet. Just make sure, sure. the waders aren't, aren't aren't leaking too bad. But anyway, <laughs> <Too> bad, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And I'm with so, you. Uh, yeah, and so straight out first cast caught a flounder. Yeah, uh, that's almost about, a, that scares me because that's a jinx when I'm fishing if I catch one yeah. on the first cast. But all in all, I mean they're all small, all shorts. Okay, you know about 12, 13 inches maybe. That's the males. Yeah, yeah, that's the males going yeah. out first. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I caught about eight of them. Dang, you know, man. I, was, I was out there till I was the only one out there. I mean, there was a, there's, there's two, there are two people out on the rocks, but I was the only one in the water. But, you know why? Uh, you know why you're the only one there? Because you only, you're the only one who's not waiting on somebody else to catch them. Yeah. I'm, well I'm, done. I'm crazy. Well I'm crazy. done. Well, that too. <laughs> but but uh, I'd have been right beside you if I'd have known you were going. You're more than welcome to join me. <laughs> Thank you. But but uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, the uh, the flounder season. I, I mean, on on uh, Texas wildlife, Texas wild, Texas wildlife. Yeah, I believe it's uh, closed all November and half, half of December, December. Like last year. Yeah, like I last think year, so I too. That's what it was last year, and that's what I'm, I'm pretty sure that I don't. I couldn't find anything at the site that even mentioned the closure. And I, I looked up flounder limits and all of that, and it just flat doesn't show it. But yeah, I, I know think, it's there. I don't think it's changed from last year. Yeah. So, but as far as the color of your uh, the lures or yeah, okay, or plastics. Uh, getting to that, I mean, I thought it was a traditional thing where if it's the water's dark, you use a dark allure. If, it, if it's uh, clear outside or clear water, relatively clear, you use uh, white white plastics. I, I like that. Was. Yeah, there there are some general rules that apply, but right now the the soft plastic lure companies. What are you doing? What are you cooking? Oh, I'm I'm cooking some chicken. I knew it. <laughs> I, have it the, I have it on the fryer. It's, okay. Sorry about that. No, that's all right, man. Keep cooking. It's it's time to eat. Heck, no, that's not a problem at all. But yeah, but the thing with color is that the lure companies, to keep selling more lures, had to keep making more colors. Because if they only offered red, white, and blue, if you had a, a handful of each, you wouldn't need to buy any more lures. So they... Right. they tweak the tails they tweak the bodies they tweak the the shapes and the colors and all of those ultimately wind up in just an infinite number of varieties of things and if if one guy goes out and catches a lot of fish or a really big fish on a particular lure then everybody's got to have them and they're they're all just betting on that when they keep making all these new colors right Hey, I'm playing on a golf tournament on Monday. I was hoping it would be the same tournament that me and you played in, but uh, mine's over at Sweetwater. Oh, uh, good Mercedes, for you. Mercedes uh, charity event. And well, so Lottie Daw. <laughs> right, hopefully it doesn't rain tomorrow. I know, man. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so hoping. Not for me, because I get to play enough golf, but Charlie Epps is an old friend of mine, and he's raising money for kids that need help getting through college and, and like golf and are pretty good at it, but don't have scholarships, I don't think. And so I'm just hoping we get to do that and raise some money for them. All right. All right. Well, goes to like yeah. always. Enjoy your chicken. Will do. Thank I'll you, sir. see you. Adios. Bye-bye. Yeah, that's interesting. I, there were years ago, just to show you what influence um, can be can be had on 
on lure buying, okay, I had the opportunity to go to, what well, wasn't Fayette County. What's the other one up there? I can't remember now. The other one that everybody went to, Gibbons Creek, I believe it was. Yeah, Gibbons Creek. I go to Gibbons Creek with somebody, and we're bouncing around in wintertime, and these fish have moved up on the shoreline because it is, after all, a power-generating lake and artificially warmed. And we're in a foot, foot and a half of water throwing these big black lizards that were brand new at the time. Nobody had anything like them out. And we were absolutely nuking these fish. There were significant, like three to eight pound fish up in really shallow water. Almost, in fact, at one point, I flipped a lizard up onto the bank to drag it into a little spot, and a raccoon came and grabbed it, and thank God it didn't get the hook in its mouth. I had to free spool it real quick because I didn't know if he had the hook or not, and the thing just kind of grabbed it and took off running and disappeared into the brush, and as soon as it stopped, I yanked and prayed, and fortunately, the the little lizard came back and, and not attached to a raccoon, which would have been very... Uh, unsettling for the guide and me. I, it may have been, may have been Rick Rule. It probably was. There's a, there's a good chance it was Rick. Anyway, the long and the short of it is, I came back and I wrote a story for the newspaper, and it ran Thursday morning with a. Uh, I believe I know a picture of a bass or two, and probably a picture of the structure we were in, and an, a mention of these new lures that I had been throwing. Because that's what we caught all our fish on. And that's what the guide, I think it was Rick, had said that he was getting them on up there. So here, I, yeah, I want to find out about these things. And when I did about, so that paper hit the driveways at what, five, six in the morning. And about 11, 11.30, I get a call down there at the paper. And it's one of the guys from Academy, one of the buyers. And he said, what did you do this morning, man? And I said, I didn't do anything. He said, no, I mean, what did you write about? And I told him, and he goes, okay, that explains it. And what had happened is he was already getting calls from the individual stores once they opened up about people coming through there looking for those things. And that's just, it, it's kind of a, it, it doesn't happen like that as often or as as aggressively as it used to because now with social media, the word spreads even it doesn't spread it does spread faster because of course you had to wait for this thing this this piece to hit the newspaper but it it doesn't i don't there's a difference i can't it, i can't put my finger on it really and describe it but the difference is that with that newspaper deal it's kind of an all at once because that's where people got most of their outdoors news either that or a phone call to a friend and now it's just everywhere, and every lure's got a picture of everybody catching a fish on it. So I think it spreads a little more slowly than it did back then. And the the it's not a gold rush mentality anymore. It's just a slow and steady stream of buying as a, a lure takes precedent and color and whatnot. But man, it was um, crazy how fast people reacted to that bass bait and, and, and I love some of those phone calls I used to get from those guys because it we were just we were just sitting down there doing our jobs and they would say oh well, why don't you call us before you do that that's a, no 
just stock your shelves with the stuff people like, and you'll figure it out. And they've all done very well with with or without me or Joe or Shannon or Bob or anybody else who was down there. That was a good time. That was a lot of fun, I got to tell you. All right, I got to take a break here. I'm, I'm wandering down memory lane and um, being neglectful of the, the clock, and I apologize for that. If you own a gun for self-protection, protecting your family, your property, anything, other people, if you're out, holy cow, you get out there and some crazy person shows up and wants to hurt people, you and I and everybody else have a right to stop that threat. If you exercise that right and you have to draw and or fire that weapon of yours to do so, you need U.S. Law Shield on your on your side. For a very nominal monthly fee, you get access to a phone number, which doesn't sound like much, except that that phone number answers 24-7 by a person who will first assess the situation to make sure you're okay, and then secondly, will will send to you, if whenever necessary, they'll assign to you, and then the attorney will talk to you, a gun rights attorney. I got lost in my thoughts there for a second. So you get a a gun rights attorney assigned to your case, and that attorney will be there anytime anybody wants to ask you questions about that case, all the way through to its resolution, even if it goes wandering off sideways into the legal system for quite some time. And you pay zero additional legal fees. None. Just keep your monthly dues rolling in like you'd been doing before that happened. And you are covered all the way through to the end of that case. USLawShield.com is the website. Go there. Read the downloadable guides. Go to one of the seminars if you can to hear firsthand from law enforcement and gun rights attorneys. But above all else, make sure you join. Make sure you sign up for that coverage. USLawShield.com. USLawShield.com. We are Sports Talk 790. Are you ready? Listen online at Sports790.com. Now, more Doug Pike. In a deep and dark December I am alone I cannot say with absolute certainty, but I will guess that the coffee pot that is used by the news, the KTRH newsroom to store the coffee that I and everybody else up here uses in the mornings has lost its ability to keep coffee hot. Either that or we are brewing with lukewarm water because even right out of the pot, man, it's just... And I don't think it's been sitting there that long. I know Nikki Courtney typically comes in very early and makes a pot, and then usually about this time, that one's run out and a second one's been made. But when I get here, that that first pot should be pretty hot, but it's not. It's a real big problem to have in the world, isn't it? Not really. 713-212-5790. Email me, dougpike at iheartmedia.com. We still got a little time left. And if you're not careful, if you let me loose, I'm going to start talking about safety again because that matters. Or weird things you have seen wild animals do. Weird things you have seen wild animals do. And that picture that Rudy sent me, by the way, of the bottlenose dolphin uh, holding on to that redfish, in his subject line, he wrote, 
I watched them, meaning bottlenose dolphin, throw trigger fish 10 feet in the air offshore, training their young to go after them. That's pretty impressive. Smart animals, clearly. Very smart animals. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I've seen so many crazy, weird things. You just look up and think, wait, what is, what is that thing doing? And that goes for deer and ducks and geese and all kinds of animals. It's really, um, it's okay, here, hold on. I got to go to my emails here. Let's see. It was closed. This is R.E. Oh, good. I have. Boy, I've got some players. Rick Bice weighed in. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me at all? On lure color, Rick Bice weighs in. Number one, green. Number two, green. Number three, green. I got a hunch that Rick Bice's tax, uh, tackle box could be a a snack bag, a resealable snack bag. And there would be three green lizards in there, two hooks, and maybe one piece of split shot or a little bullet weight. And that would be it. That's all he'd probably carry his whole tackle box in a shirt pocket. I've been there, done that. I've forced myself to do that sometimes just to see if I can make them eat a certain bait. It's fun. Kirk weighs in on flounder season. Last year, it says here, closed November 1, reopened December 15. This year, it reopens December 14. If that's the only change, then that's not a lot of change. And let's not all get all worked up about that. Uh, Billy sent me an email. I won't read it because you told me not to, and that's fair enough. I can see why, though. That's kind of funny. That's kind of funny. <sighs> all good stuff. Oh, did that guy hang up? What did he want to know? He wanted to know. He was talking about rice fields going up around Algora, Texas, I believe he said. And uh, he thinks that the rice is going to bring the geese back, he said. Algora? You mean Alcoa? Yeah, there you go. You mean Arcola? I meant Al... You meant Arcola. Yeah, that's what I was, I was messing with you in the middle one there. Not Alcoa. That's aluminum foil, I think. Um... Arcola may have some more rice going in, but I don't know that they can plant enough rice to bring the geese back to this region. It's It's been so developed now, and farming practices have changed to such an extent now that it just doesn't bode well. Now, the, the rice water, all of that water will draw and hold more ducks, I would think. But the geese just need, because they eat more and because their flocks are bigger, the concentrations of geese that can come down here and feel comfortable, uh, it, I don't think we can support the big, big flights of geese that we saw 30 years ago, 20 years ago even. That's unfortunately for anybody and everybody who loves waterfowling and just moved here, you missed out on one heck of a show. And I'm sorry to tell you that. And I don't really know where else you could go to get that anymore. Because it was just silly. Absolutely silly how many geese were on that prairie. I would sit out there as a guide. And on almost any given morning, no matter where you set up out in that area where we hunted, then that was pretty much everywhere from Katy all the way to Eagle Lake, all the way up almost to 
Oh, gosh, at least to Hockley and then down south of town pretty far. You could set up almost anywhere out there and within the first hour of daylight see six to eight concentrations of anywhere from 10 to 50 or 60,000 geese popping up all around you, just lifting off the horizon. There were some sunrises that were the, the concentrations of geese between me and that sunrise were so thick that the sun couldn't. The sun would be there on the horizon, then something would spook those birds all at once, and it would it would black the sky. Couldn't see the sun through it anymore. That's how thick they were and how many there were. Let me go talk to Roy, see what's on his mind. Oh, you got to do that, Adam, because it still doesn't work in here. Thank you. What's up, Roy? Roy! Hey, Doug. How are you this morning? I'm good, man. I'm really good. I'm on my way to Galveston. Been listening to you like I often do. And Thank you. First time to call you in quite a while, but I was going to tell you one interesting animal story to finish up your, your day with. I love those. Bring it. Barnuminiums are real popular right now. Yes, they people are. Where they uh, build their bunkhouse inside the barnuminium or their house or yeah. whatever. And I had something occur to us down in a little barnuminium we've got out near El Campo where we hunt our goose and waterfowl and yeah. deer and uh, my son went down there a couple of weekends ago and he thought I'd played a trick on him. He says, what did you do? How? Where did you get this snake skin? I said, what snake skin? He oh, goes, wow. the snake skin the snake skin in the bathroom. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, it was five feet long, obviously Ooh. a rat snake or yeah, a chicken probably. snake. Mm-hmm. And it was and it was molting. It was shedding, yeah, and it, sure. um, to finally get the, the the old skin off of it, it went through the toilet paper holder. Oh wow! With the toilet paper there. Oh my god! So it gosh. is between the toilet paper roll and the Woo. and the stem that that the toilet paper roll goes over. Wow! And and um, so we tried to figure out where it came from and how it got in. Boy, more and importantly, where is it, it now? <laughs> well, no, we, we took care of that. We oh, had okay. a thorough inspection. Oh, okay, good. So, so this is the second time that I've first. I've never. I've only seen it one time where I've seen a snake in the toilet. Don't know whether the snake in the toilet oh my came gosh. in through the sewer system. Oh my gosh! Or, or came in through somebody that left a toilet lid. Yeah. Okay. Open. Wow, so my, man. My, rec- my recommendation, if you live out in the country and where you leave your doors open yep. every once in a while or you possibly <laughs> can see some, some some critters, they all come to the water. And yes, the only water you got in that place is the toilet. Holy cow. All right. Well, thank you for that news. I'm glad everything worked out for you. Yeah, tell them, just, right. just tell them to close close the lid on their yeah. way out. Drop her down. All Thanks. Right. We'll see you. Enjoyed your show. Thank you very you much. Bye. I appreciate it. All right, we got to take a little break here. On the way out, I'll tell you about American Shooting Center. That's out there on Westheimer Parkway between Katy and Highway 6. Very easy to find. You cannot miss those big, giant berms out there where there have been, I don't know how many rounds shot into them. People getting excited about deer season coming up. People working on their self-defense shooting. 
people honing their long-range shooting skills out to 600 yards on that rifle range. And then, of course, they've got three different sporting clays courses. I don't know any place that's got three. Not around here, anyway. It's the largest non-military shooting facility in the entire state of Texas. And that's saying something. 200-plus shooting stations. All You've got three sporting clays, as I said. Five-stand setups all over the place. I think it's 10 or 12 trap and skeet fields. There's a beginner's area for wing shooting. There's a rimfire silhouette pop-up range. All kinds of places that you and your friends and your family can go to enjoy the shooting sports. And if you're kind of, if you're a bad golfer, you need lessons. If you're a bad shot, you get lessons, you become a better shot. You become a much better shot. And they've got experts in all the shooting disciplines out there to help you get that taken care of. One of my favorite places to shoot, got to tell you. Been out there, too, since the groundbreaking a million years ago. man named Ed Arrighi bought that place, uh, I don't know how many exactly how many years ago, but he was determined to turn it into a more user-friendly place, and he has done that without any sacrifice whatsoever to safety. Absolutely, positively, everything is safety first. If you're shooting out there, somebody's got eyes on you. And if somebody comes by and says, excuse me, don't do that anymore, just say thanks for the reminder. Because they're trying to keep everybody safe, make sure everybody has a great time and enjoys those shooting sports. Between Westheimer, well, on Westheimer Parkway, between Katy and Highway 6, AmericanShootingCenters.com is the website. AmericanShootingCenters.com. We are Sports Talk 790. Houston Sports, where you go with iHeartRadio. Now, now, get more, Doug. Update from the baseball field. Not the Astros, where they can't seem to win a game at home. That's horrible. And I'll give them credit. They had problems early in the season with injuries and, and I mean, to pitchers, to Alvarez, to Altuve. It was, it was a train wreck. It really was. And it cost us a lot of wins, I'm sure. But, man, when you're in the home stretch like this and you're dropping games to guys who clearly shouldn't be able to beat you, that's, that's a... That's an alarm going off. There ought to be a big alarm going off. Uh, this is it's, it's sad. I hate to see it. All right, let me uh, let's get to David real quick. See what's going on, David. What's up, buddy? Yeah, Doug. My wife says she can remember we moved here in the early '80s when there were so many geese in the uh, Katy Perry. They would show up on TV weather radio uh, radar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a fact. Yeah, some of the migrations. Would actually, yeah, they were the big concentrations would get up and they would be thick enough to bounce off the radar. Absolutely, I, I can't. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. I always enjoy your show. Thank you. Yes, sir. Wow. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Every now and then, the the forecasters would talk about the geese interfering with their radar because there were so many of them on on that prairie. Both sides of town, too. The east side had a lot of geese, but the west side, I'm pretty sure, wintered more. And I, I wanted, when we were counting back then, when the Parks and Wildlife Department and the Fish and Wildlife Service were counting back then, I want to say the difference on the east side and the west side 
on average was probably oh, like a couple of hundred thousand more geese out west and east. Those concentrations were just staggering. And using the formula for how many, oh, good, my son's team won this morning. I don't know if they play again, but that's good. Either way, using the the formula the Parks and Wildlife Department and Fish and Wildlife Service use for how many geese are in a field, they just they basically take the acreage and then allot a certain amount of land per bird on exactly how much ground is being covered. I looked at a concentration once and got a photograph, or got many photographs actually, as they lifted up because there was a little airplane coming at them uh, that probably was close to a hundred thousand birds in one field. A one section. This was a, a, a full section of land. I don't recall what grade was. I think it was. I don't even know if it had been a rice field. It may have been a bean field. I don't recall. But when I got there, this was around I don't know midday, and they were all feeding in that field. And when I got there, if you'd have dropped a, a goose into the west side of that field, one of them would have been shoved out the east side under the fence. It was just a staggering concentration of birds, and I've talked about it before. I still feel like like the the shot that I've got that I used to demonstrate how many birds were in that field, that photograph probably has more snow geese in it than any other frame of thirty five millimeter film ever and and that was just that was just a clump of them that I got i It was just a a, an amazing experience and it's not one that was unique I, I, I'd never seen a concentration quite that big but 30, 40, 50,000 geese getting up makes a lot of noise too we'd put geese to bed and go out to those roost ponds and sit there and it would get so loud that you could be leaning against or sitting on the same tailgate of a pickup truck with another guide shooting the breeze and as these birds come in they just get louder and louder and louder and louder and it would get to the point where you couldn't scream to the other guy and be heard. Unbelievable. Brings back some really good memories, too. I'm going to go find some geese. Maybe we've got enough rice out there to get a few of them back anyway. Surely some of them will ricochet off of here. They live 25, 30 years. There'll be some old birds come by just to say hi, see how it's going. See if we've changed our tactics any. Maybe we can fool a few of them too, huh? All right, get outside, have a little fun. There's supposed to be rain tomorrow. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Hey, they've been wrong as many times as they've been right for the last four months. So just get out and see. At least it'll be a little bit cooler tomorrow. It's going to be hot today. Be hydrated, wear your sunscreen, do all that. But above everything else, get out, have some fun, safe time in the outdoors with your family. I'll be here Tuesday to kick off another week of 50 plus on KPRC and again Saturday morning at 7 right here on Sports Talk 790.